Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Blockchain technology and sports. On the face of it, there doesn't seem to be much crossover of these two areas. Canadian-based sports technology group, however, know the value that can be unlocked both for professional athletes and sporting franchises and organizations through the inspired application of this technology. It's estimated that even an organization no less esteemed than the National Basketball Association spends over $600,000 on athlete administration every year, a figure which could be reduced dramatically by using blockchain tech to structure smart contracts for athletes. Why should the opinions of STG be listened to? Well, not many organizations can claim to have the insight of no less than five Olympians in their organization, with over 100 combined years of data and technology expertise. Gary Boddington, CEO and co-founder of STG, was kind enough to chat to us about many things in this area of sports technology, including how much has changed and how much has stayed the same when it comes to athlete contracts, the incredible applications of smart contract technology in relation to contracts performance clauses and what it will take for this tech to truly snowball. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it completely salt free. A completely salt-free rating from The Diva, which means that this podcast content is suitable for all ages. Thank you kindly to both Franku and The Diva for that rating. Before we fully get underway, a reminder of the Fueled by Death cast, produced by the team at Death Wish Coffee, the world's strongest coffee. Fueled by Death is a show that asks the question, what fuels you? Very similar in sentiment to how we do things here at Release the Geek. They have a bunch of great content, having conversations with astronauts, rock stars, authors, athletes, and more. Check it out at deathwishcoffee.com on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tell them Release the Geek sent you. And now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release the geek with Gary Boddington. And now, we're releasing the geek. to get into that or be more accepting of that just from a tech perspective that's going to be fascinating but I'm going to ask first Gary because now this is like the official voice we're, we're <laughs> going to start rolling into this what is normally our first question is what is our what is your path to geekdom but I don't know if you define yourself as a geek would you what do you I geek out about a, what do you enjoy no, I, I, uh, sports and technology. That's, uh, I mean, that's really what got me to where I am. Uh, I, I, I kind of, I, I've, I've been a sports person all my life. Uh, I've, I fell into technology fortuitously through a group of friends that have now given me a probably 30 year career in, in, in technology. Um, and and I, that, those are my two, that's what I geek out on. I just love sports and I, and I now love esports. Um, not that I'm, I'm a participant, but I just, I, I love the, uh, I'm just fascinated by where it's going and what's happening and how it's going to transform society and how it's going to actually, I think, completely disrupt traditional sports. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then technology. I mean, you just pick an acronym, uh, whether it's 
A-I-M-L-A-R-V-R-I-O-T, whatever, I, I just I find it fascinating. I just think at this at this point in history and blockchain cryptocurrency, there's so much going on, it's just fascinating. And yeah, you know, my my son is, is 19 years old, he's going into his second year of engineering uh, over here. And uh, I just say to him, I, I wish I was 30 years younger because all of this technology is so brand new. Um, it's only emerging now, and, and people are only really starting to appreciate it. I wish I was at his, his age, because he and he's doing computer science, fortunately for him. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you actually don't know how lucky you are. You're kind of one of the first generations in history that will actually study and come out with a degree that's done, you know, they've studied distributed ledgers, they've studied cryptocurrency, they've studied artificial intelligence and that's that's crazy and if you think about what that means in five or ten years time it's it's phenomenal i just yeah so that's what i geek out about stuff it's, and it's less i guess it's less i don't i don't geek about writing code I don't, i've never written a line of code in my life um but i do geek out about the, the, the possibilities of what technology can bring to to different um, different verticals and obviously sports being the one that i really focus on sure a full disclaimer um gary and i have worked together um, we worked together for, a, for a, a number of years, and I believe I might be responsible for more of Gary's gray hairs than anybody else in the organization. Um, but uh, so I, I happen to know that uh, Gary's origin story and getting to where he currently is located. You're in Vancouver right now, and for the last seven years, eight years? How long has it Ten been? Ten years already. Ten it's years? Two-year plan. Two-year plan. I'm in my fifth cycle of two-year plans. <laughs> So you found your way to, to Vancouver for various reasons, and uh, you then started getting involved in the business startup space, specifically around distributed ledger technology. Was that a focus for you? Or was that just where you found yourself? No, so actually, yeah, it's a long story. Um, but I, I, so after I left the organization that we worked with together, I, um, mm. I, I actually founded an artificial intelligence company that, that we developed a, a prescriptive analytics solution on, on cash flow for small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of, I, I guess I was really looking at the cloud in those days. You could see what was coming, and this is 10 years ago, whatever it was, and you could see the cloud coming and you can see the opportunities coming in. So I got involved in doing mentoring and advisory work for startups in Vancouver. Um, and then uh, quite fortunately for me, um, I, um, I joined a venture capital company uh, and at one of the partner meetings one day, I, I, I was the partner, I, I was responsible for looking for fintech investments for this VC. Um, and at, at a partner meeting one day, the guy said, Gary, this thing, Bitcoin is out. So that's, we think that's fintech. So that's you go and find out what it's all about. <laughs> and that, I think that was just a lucky break for me because I was absolutely in the category that um, that Bitcoin was for drug runners only, as is a lot of my generation, as are a lot of my generation still in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it just led me down a path of of uh, going in and do the research and really find out what it all is. And and I ended up actually joining kind of the fringe community. Vancouver actually got off to a flyer. Unfortunately, it slowed quite a lot now. But it was the first city in the world with the, the world's first Bitcoin ATM. Um, so I got to meet those guys at, at, as well as there the day they launched that ATM. Um, I, I joined kind of the fringe community and there's a place in downtown Vancouver where a lot of the techies would meet. Um, and they, and, and it was a very, I was the old guy in the room that was asking the stupid questions around how you're going to sell this or who's going to buy this type of thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really understand it. And a lot of the discussions in those days were around proof of stake and proof of work and just really technical discussions, which are very at, at a protocol level. 
Um, but but uh, and and in those days, I actually met a young guy. Then I think he was seventeen, Vitalik uh, um, Buterin. He came through Vancouver waving his Ethereum white paper, and and he spoke to this room of about twenty people. I had no idea what he was talking about. It was really technical, but you could sense that there's there's something going on here. You could sense the change that was coming. So I just stuck around, and then um, again, fortunately for me, I met two young. Uh, English brothers uh, that started a company that that um, focused on blockchain, uh, and uh, ultimately that became a listed company uh, in Vancouver. So, uh, and we did some crazy proof of concept projects in, in those early days. So we did a we did a um, um, cross border interbank settlement platform with Visa and six European banks. Which really the pain point it was it was looking to address was the pain of of why does it take three days to transfer money from one country to another? Everybody, we all go through this process, and the answer is it's because mm. of KYC, AML, or anti-money laundering, and know your customer routines, which the banks have to do, otherwise they, they are liable for billions of dollars of fines. But we recognize that through uh, a new layer of technology, you could take the pain point of three days, and you could reduce that down to split seconds to, to kind of shift that money around the world, which is, mm-hmm. and that, that type of technology now is commonplace in, in banking, even though it's not spoken about a lot. Um, and then we also did an asset trading platform in, in the energy sector where the pain point there was um, um, basically 90% of their trades are mismatched. So we, we, so if, if you consider the, the big energy guys, they'll, they'll trade natural gas was the energy, it was a commodity. And they'll kind of trade this around, and 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 then the, once they've completed the trade, they'll flick it over their shoulder, and and the back office has to reconcile the trade, and ninety percent of those are, are mismatched, which just sounds ludicrous. And these are billion-dollar companies, and so that that project was really enlightening for me because that pain point of ninety percent of trades are mismatched, uh, and these are big household brands, household name brands. Um, we we reduced that down to rendering the concept of reconciliation as obsolete. Wow. And, and when we first kind of did that and wrote up wrote up the kind of the the the, the case study on on the on the proof of concept, and we, we actually I remember writing that line was that we've rendered the concept of reconciliation reconciliation is obsolete. And you think about that implication that that sounds ludicrous. Like what? Mm. Um, but that's the reality of what it does. It's uh, I mean your 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 auditing is real time. Your reconciliations are real time. It's, there's no such thing as having to recover after the fact. So. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, long story, but I, that's that's how I got involved in it, and it's uh, and, and I just kept going from there. A lot of the, especially in banking, um, a lot of the business processes are just built on legacy processes because that's how it used to be able to be done. Well, that's how we've yep. always done it. So that's yep. and a lot of the tech for, especially in the banking sector. Um, it would be surprising to people exactly how old some of those systems are, but they're integral to the operation of the company, so they can't remove them. So yep. the idea of shifting to to new technologies that can make back-end recons obsolete would be lovely. It's just going to be a pain point for them to get across. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Leslie, the interesting thing is uh, that it's not a technology problem whatsoever. It's entirely a human problem. It's the age-old issue. It's, it's, and, and, and so the, the deeper you go in the technology, the more you understand what you're capable of. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, you realize that actually the technology is not a challenge. The technology can do everything that, as advertised on the box and more. It's the problem of getting people 
the incumbents in the business that don't understand what it is um, to say, okay, we should be ado adopting this. I mean, a, a crazy example is, I think it was New York in the US, you know, with this COVID going on, there was this massive claim, uh, obviously massive claims for, for, for unemployment insurance payouts. The system that ran it really struggled with the sudden overload of, of, um, of applicants uh, and the system was built by COBOL programmers. Mm -hmm. So they literally had to go and find COBOL programmers who are now pretty extinct or they aren't, are they an older generation. Yeah. And guess what happened? That older generation didn't want to go into the office and work because of the risk, because they were in the high-risk category for COVID. Yeah. And, and that's these systems are still running on 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 these platforms. Uh, and they still work. And that's the thing. Everybody says, well, it still works. That's fine. But the, the, the risk profile is just getting crazy. Um mm. And, and, but but it, besides that, when you look at the benefits that you can that you can get from using these within within your organisation, just it's, it's crazy not to consider mm. it. But it's yeah. change. It's just it's it's not a technology challenge. It's a human challenge. Um, to, moving towards the the topic that I did want to discuss with you in more detail, you have um, played sport at an international level multiple times. Um, you've got a, a depth of um, sporting experience. So the idea of technology and particularly like player contracts, uh, you would have you would have played in in a time of pre-professional where it was you had to go to work, but then you still had to turn up for for training in the afternoon, sometimes paying your own way for flights and stuff like that. The world has the world moved along very, very quickly in the mid '90s, past um, past that sort of thing into the professionalism. What were the maybe to give a, a future? Sorry, a comparison when we go forward. What were player contracts? What were the terms and stuff like that that people who athletes at at even intermediate to high levels? What were some of the things they had to deal with when it came to like negotiating contracts, negotiating payments, those sort of things? What was it like uh, pre this massive influx of cash into professionalism? Um, I don't think it's changed much, to be honest. I, th I think what has, what is changing is athletes are are awakening to their rights more than they mm -hmm. ever have. So. And I, and I take you know the Olympic agreement for example as uh, prior to prior to um, attending the Olympic Games you have to sign the Olympic the um, kind of South African well any any organisations any countries uh, Olympic organisation um, that's fine you you have to sign the um, Olympic agreement, uh, and part of that is your is your naming rights. Not that anybody would have wanted my, my face or name on a on a bus shelter or a billboard, but the reality is you your 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 name, all of your rights um, go along with that agreement. And and athletes don't really appreciate what goes on. And the reality is, you know, the, the Olympic movement make a lot of money off the image images of of athletes. So you can imagine a guy like Usain Bolt. Uh, he's got mm -hmm. to sign the same agreement that I signed. Um, but they would want to put his image and, and users, you know, they would want to advertise using his image all over the world. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, and when you think about, um, people just used to kind of sign agreements without really thinking about the contents or they'd have an agent uh, that would represent them and, and the agent didn't necessarily always tell them all the detail of the agreement where I think nowadays people are more aware. And, and there's, in fact, there's a lawsuit going on in, in the UK at the moment where a whole bunch of 
English football, Scottish football professionals are actually suing organizations for the use of their their data. So they all they all produce this data every single day, every game they play, every training session. And these massive organizations are making an enormous amount of money off the back of that, selling their data. But the reality is if I'm training every day and I'm playing every day, that's that's, that's me. It's my data. It's my health data. It's my mm. performance data that's been aggregated and uh, and by an organization. who have got this fantastic technology and they've done a great job of monetizing it. But as an athlete, nobody gets anything. And that's what's changing is you, you have the ability now to track every every single piece of data mm. and see where it go, where it goes and where it's monetized. So I, I don't think I'm really answering your question around the <laughs> contracting piece. Sure. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, to go to the contracting piece, it's interesting because in our discussions around how the different sports codes contract their athletes, and we've spoken to um, rugby union, ice hockey, um, uh, soccer, basketball, volleyball, you, you name it. We've spoken to almost every sports code uh, and, and multiple uh, personas within the sports codes, um, mm-hmm. as in coaches, athletes, parents, agents, whatever. And the amazing thing is within each sports code, particularly the executives or the people that run that particular sports code, they, they, they seem to think that they're completely unique uh, in the way they contract the athletes. Um, but we we look at it from the point of view now that we say, well, we've actually spoken to multiple people, and they don't look at the other side. They don't look across to another sports code and even consider that maybe they do something in a similar way. The reality is, you know, everybody does it does their contracting of athletes in more or less a standard way. The, the the layers of contract, some might have three layers, some might have six layers, whatever. But that's it's a junior contract and a semi pro contract and a pro contract and then the kind of marquee contract, whatever. But they all more or less the same thing. And I, and I don't think, you know, to go back to your question, what, what's changed? I, I, I don't think a lot of that's changed, to be honest. Um, I just, but sadly, the way they, the way people manage it has not changed either. It's still an old, it's crazy how people still use, yeah, in some cases, still fax machines, which is ludicrous, but, but you, you know, WhatsApp, email, PDF documents, it's just a mess of trying to, trying to get, Signatures and paper, and and then and then athletes are not informed of the detail of, of specific clauses, and and then disputes arise. It's, it's silly. It's just there's a better way to do it. Yeah, I guess you could probably pinpoint it to uh, Michael Jordan. That yes, you you own the number twenty three, and the league owns that number, and the Bulls own the jersey, but you don't own my face. So you can't just add me into uh, like the latest NBA computer game. You can't just add me into these things when I'm busy finding these other deals where the access to my likeness is going to go for a lot of money. And then I can, yeah, I can't have you jeopardizing those things over there. Your point about the player data it was probably what five, six would would have been within the last ten years that it's easy enough to strap a a um, a garment to an athlete to measure how much you're running around the field, and those were really cool stats. I thought, okay, that's interesting, and now you're starting to look at sabermetrics and and the more advanced data analytics, but to realize that that's Gary's data. You're measuring information about his heart rate, his health, that could impact insurance that could impact 
uh, ongoing contract negotiations. The number of times that you see, uh, I'm, I'm more of a basketball fan than anything else, the number of times you see a player, no, you've got an irregular heartbeat where we're not going to pick you up. But that's something that may never impact that player ever. That's, yeah. I hadn't considered the personal aspects of giving up that data. So yep. now, I mean, because once you know that piece of information, you could then tie that into a contract. Gary, I need to make sure that you're giving at least 80% effort. So here's your minimum heart rate that we're going to expect you to perform at. That's what I hadn't considered that from a performance metric standpoint. There's, there's absolutely that element, and you can automate that now as well because uh, instantly, so the smart contract that runs on the back end, and, and, and so the question then becomes, is this data fudged? Is this real? Can you trust this data? So now the, the plumbing that you can that you can invoke on that solution is, you know, it's trustable, it's automatic, the, the, it's automated, uh, and at the end of the game or during the game, the, the, the coach and the, 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 whoever it is that makes the decisions around, um, around that athlete can say, no, we've got to pull the athlete now because... Mm. He or she's not at eighty percent, whatever, and there, and there can be no dispute. It's not a case of well, Les, it looks like you kind of you, you're not really giving a hundred percent today. I can mm. see your stats, Les. You're not. You definitely are not giving a hundred percent today. You're out of here. No, of actually, bed. I'm. I'm going to ask you to please not use me as an example because I'm having <laughs> flashbacks from yeah. my my previous performance <laughs> performance reviews. But you know, you, you use the Michael Jordan example as well. Mm. And so the number twenty three shirt and the name and the likeness and those types of things. So and hundred percent correct. So the, and, and the name and the likeness thing. There's a, there's a there's a in the US, NCAA, so previously you're probably aware yeah. that NCAA, these are amateur athletes, yeah. amateur athletes. Yeah, um, yeah, air quotes for of, the amateur. As of 2021, these amateur athletes now can start making money. And there's, there's millions and millions of dollars going to pour into this. And so the big mm -hmm. issue is, okay, now these formerly amateur athletes can now earn money from endorsement or whatever it might be. Now, how do you manage that? Who's going to yeah. manage that? So now there's, there's this huge... Um, everybody's really nervous that there's going to be a massive influx of unscrupulous agents that are just going to come and say, well, mm. I'll look after your, your naming rights and whatever, sign them up, and then and then don't get paid, which goes back to the Jordan issues. It's all good and well to say, okay, we'll sign the contract that says um, we can, um, you know, you're part of the team and the, the, the jersey's ours and those types of things. But, and I, I always use the analogy of, you know, that searching, have you seen Searching for Sugar Man, the, the, yeah. the documentary yes. about uh, Rodriguez? Mm. So for all those years, he never got royalties on any of his on, on any of his music. He, he didn't even know that he was selling so much music. Mm. Uh, and and that's that's I mean you can see in the music industry there's crowds there's a lot of blockchain solutions in it to resolve that. And the same in sports. So you can say okay, well, I own the, the Jordan jersey, the number twenty three. He can sign a contract that says um, uh, okay, well, I get a, I get a ten percent royalty on all sales of the number three twenty three jersey globally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what's to say that that organization, and not to say that Chicago did this, but what's to say that an unscrupulous organization goes back to him and says, uh, you know what, this month we only sold 100 jerseys, so, but actually they sold 10,000 jerseys. Mm -hmm. how, how do you track that? So it's, that, yeah. it's just that back office tracking me mechanism and the ability to have transparency around what's actually, actually going on and the automation of the disbursement of funds around those types of things. So. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, this is the interesting thing about as you look at specific case studies or use cases, the conversation just can go off in multiple directions. Mm. And that's what makes this place so, this space so exciting and so interesting mm. to talk about. 
So, so leading into the a bit more of the nuts and bolts about that, uh, a, a slight uh, digression. I, I saw recently in the um, the documentary The Last Dance that was going through uh, the Bulls and their last season. That there were, uh, Jordan had a very clever way of getting around a particular um, sponsorship conflict. The team, the the dream team, was sponsored by um, Reebok. This was the 92 Olympics. Uh, the Dream Team was sponsored by Reebok, but he was sponsored by Nike. And they said, well, you're never going to wear the Reebok label. And there was nothing he could do to get around it because the Reebok label was on the jersey. So what he did was drape the American flag over his shoulder. So it was never seen. The Reebok logo was never seen. It was the only way he could get around it. He couldn't put tape on or anything like that. Whoa, I'm not sure how I got here. But this is a really cool podcast. Well, while I'm here, I guess I'll introduce myself. I am the Incredible Jeff, the host of Fueled by Deathcast, the weekly podcast from the Deathwish Coffee Company. Each week, I get to talk with a special guest from rock stars to astronauts about what they do and what fuels their passion. Because we're all fueled by death. We want to leave this world a little different before we inevitably leave it for good. Follow Fueled by Deathcast on all social media and subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or the Deathwish Coffee Company YouTube page. But for now, let's finish this awesome podcast. The the exploitation of college athletes has been ridiculous because the universities can just sell their jersey, their name, and I understand the origin of the rules that they didn't want to have any potential conflicts. But now you've got levels of technology where you can have a smart contract. And this is where we're going to get into the definitions of this. That the smart contract, uh, because it can be automated, because it can have back-end plumbing, as you say, that it can have triggers that the moment you hit your 20 points in the game, that activates a contract, that organizes a payment that comes out to the athlete, but that can also be managed that 70% of that, please put into my account, and then 30% go to my mum and pay off her mortgage. That you can now bring... So let's let's talk about what smart contracts are. They're basically a distributed ledger platform for a contract, really. is that That's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. I, I, to me, I, I don't know why they call smart contracts um, because I, I, don't, I kind of struggle to, because they're not smart and they're not contracts. Um, it's kind of, it's code. It's, it's executable, execute, executable code. Sure. Um, but, but I guess in terms of trying to understand them, a smart contract does make sense. But I, I, your, your example that you've just alluded to there is exactly the way I, I try and explain it to sports executives as well. I say, I use the example here in Vancouver, there's our, our local major league soccer team at the Vancouver Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. So if you're a young kid and they recruit from, from obviously kids all over the world. So if you're, if you're a young kid that comes from, let's say Honduras and signs for the Whitecaps, um, at the moment, that's a, that's a very paper-based old school type kind of uh, signature process. But if, if you had to digitize that process and back that up with uh, a smart contract, basically it gives you all sorts of flexibility to write all sorts of new uh, clauses around the contract as well. But you can basically, that contract can say um, your, sign, your win bonus, your goal scoring bonus, your whatever the different bonuses is. Um, and then based on the results on the day, as exactly as you said, by the time I have to shower uh, after the game, that young Honduras, uh, Honduran player, he will know that 
he has been paid because he scored a goal and he's been paid his bonus. They've won the game and he's been paid his bonus. And let's say it's the end of the month and he's due his salary. He could have stipulated in his contract to say, I want uh, 50% of my salary to go to be paid into my Canadian bank account in Canadian dollars. Uh, I want 25% to be paid into my crypto wallet in Bitcoin, 10% to be paid in Litecoin, and 10% needs to go back to my family, uh, remitted back to my family uh, in Honduras. That whole process, all of that can happen automatically now. Uh, and it can be, uh, and it's instantly available. Everybody can trust that it happened. They, they can't, it's not a case of, uh, if you unpack those issues and you think about that person's current life, so that if that young kid wanted to send money back to Honduras, they'd have to wait for the money to be paid into the bank, in, uh, to, into the bank account. Then they're going to go off to an ATM and they're going to draw cash out. Then they're going to kind of walk down the road to one of these money transfer organizations, stand in a line, push the money over the counter and say, please send this money back to Honduras, which is going to, they're going to get, get gouged a good couple of points um, for sending that. The parents on the other side might have no transport. They might live in poverty. They've got to try and find a way to catch a bus or whatever it is to get into another money place. Uh, and they're going to get paid. They're going to have to pay to get there. And they're going to have to pay money to get the money mm. on the other side. And, that, and it could take days. Right. Whereas, no, this is the unbelievable thing about this new technology is it's instant. So it goes straight. It can go straight to a wallet. It's instantly there. Everybody can see the transaction happen. It's completely transparent, so everybody can trust the system. And that those parents that may live in poverty or maybe aging or whatever don't have to leave home. Mm -hmm. They've got their money in their in their wallet. You you bring up a good point. The number of stories about sportsmen, rock stars, people who have had agents uh, who have had their fingers in the till and siphoning off that sort of money. No, no, I'll take care of your your payments, et cetera. I'll manage all of that for you. A lot of that stuff. So you've got your security, you've got your safety, it's automated. So you've got your speed and you can now add layers of, it's layers of complexity, but it's, it's, I'd rather say that it's more customizable that we can drill down to minutiae and say, these, these are our performance expectations and I'm thinking about certain contracts uh, in the NBA where some of the contract clauses will be, you'll get a bonus if you make the all-star team. Yep. Now, the all-star team is a fan-based vote. So, yeah, the top five spots are, um, are fan-based. The rest of it is all the coaches that choose. But if you put up enough numbers that you knock down the door to get into an all-star game, that can activate a bonus. So you're only going to get there if you do perform. So you can add even a little bit more monthly and weekly performance. So your uh, show ponies, you can start getting them to deliver more and more on a regular basis because that's how this contract is going to be structured and we can measure it. Correct. And, and I think I, I think a lot of that negotiation, a lot of the show pony type of discussion uh, and negotiation happens. I mean, you can, there's some very, when you get down to um, that level of contract and that detail of contract, it does get pretty detailed and there are additional clauses. The challenge then becomes executing on those clauses. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, and hard, you know, is and 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 this is happening in esports as well. Is there's there's underpayment and late payment and non-payment and forgotten payment and and so and and every the person that suffers every single time is the athlete, uh, and it's 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 crazy. There's got to, that's exactly what we well actually I, let me correct myself there because there's a thing called contingent liabilities as well where mm -hmm. um, uh, a club, for example, so so let's say I, I'm a I'm a 
a big name football club in England, uh, soccer, and I sell uh, a young athlete to another club. And this, you can see this, this, this um, athlete's got potential, but it hasn't quite hit the headlines yet. So I, I write into my contract of sale to say, if this person um, actually ends up playing for England, I, I deserve more money. If this person plays in the World Cup and wins the World Cup, I deserve more money. If this person actually goes on and wins the Ballon d'Or and, and is the world's greatest footballer, I deserve another piece. So, and those types of things happen in these, these, these are contingent liabilities that follow uh, these athletes around the world. The reality is often those contingent liabilities are, once they sign off, they put in, in, a, in a paper, in a folder, in a drawer somewhere, the administrators might leave, the executives forget that they've even got that contingent liability, and that person actually goes on to win the World Cup and become the world's best footballer, and they never collect. And that's crazy. I mean, it's, it, there's a, and it sounds, you know, it sounds ludicrous that people would actually lose out on opportunities like that because of just base, basically poor administration or what what you started with is there's just old school ways of thinking, old ways of doing things. And you know, there's there's one example that cost it could be worth a couple of hundred thousand, a couple of million pounds uh, if you just remember that you actually had a, a clause in your salary. Right. Yeah. We've we've talked. We've kind of talked on both sides of this that um, there's the athlete can know how things are happening. Um, I think a, a lot of the examples that we've talked about, though, are from a managerial side that we're able to drill these down because these are our expectations. This is what we want from you, and now we can we can provide cause. Uh, we can provide cause for these things. What what are other benefits for this sort of thing from a player perspective? How does it a affect maybe their mindset that they can go forward with certain things. Does it is it just more empowering for them? Is this a really that it's a win win for both sides? Yeah, I, I, we're still exploring that. To be honest, I mean it's the early days for us, but I think if, it doesn't matter what sector you look at. Um, uh, I think the, the benefits of this technology are the same. It's just about the trust and transparency that that it, that it, the efficiency in the back office and then trust and transparency that it brings um, to whatever the use case is. And, and again, there's, if you go use case by use case, there's different, there's different benefits and outcomes um, that you get from the solution that you apply to that use case. So, I mean, yeah. Another good example that we use here is we, we, in the early days, we did a proof of concept on, on um, um, basically on betting. So let's, uh, let's use a hypothetical example. You're a, you're a vendor and mm-hmm. you put up a um, uh, you put up a game that says pick six and win a million bucks on your website. Sure. And so I come in and I'm going to play that. So I, I come in and I provision myself and I get going and I pick six numbers. So I end up getting six right. You happen to be an unscrupulous operator. You look in your database there. Oh, Gary got six right there. I owe him a million. I owe him a million bucks. Um, so what you do is you go into your database and you just fudge one of those numbers. And then so I come to you and say, Liz, you owe me a million bucks. I've just picked six correctly. So, oh no, Gary, you only got five. So my only my only resolution to that is I go to the regulator. So the regulator and I go make a complaint. I go and lodge a complaint. I say, uh, I think Les is unscrupulous. He owes me a million bucks. I picked six correctly. So what happens? The regulator comes to you. Say, Les, you've had a complaint from one of your users. Says you're unscrupulous. Uh, uh, and here's his numbers, six numbers. And you just say, dear regulator, here you go. Look at I. He got five. He didn't actually get six. So now mm-hmm. who do you trust? And, and, and so it's really is a case of all of that data is centralized within you as a vendor 
and everybody just has to trust whatever you do. Um, and the ability now to protect the, and this is not an athlete issue, this is more of a gaming issue, but another illustration of how these things can work is um, we now protect those people that are betting because you can you can now record every single keystroke and there cannot be a dispute. Um, so you can see everything that's going on and the regular the regulator can sit on the network and you can bring in one of the big auditing firms if you want to. And in fact, you can bring in another 100 gamers onto the network and yeah. so all of us have visibility to make sure that this guy, this vendor that claims to be this really cool guy putting up these cool competitions, we can all make sure and monitor that he's not cheating. Yeah, through a case study that I had to do recently for a, for a client, um, we were looking at the technology around a betting site and a bet was placed and we had a look and say, all right, cool, here's the drop down. Let's take a look just to remind ourselves of the details of the bet. On one side, it had the full details. Yes, the bet was placed here. These are the terms of the bet. And on another site, it just had the distributed ledger chain. Yep. This, the, he, everything's in here. Correct. We've already tracked it, so there yep. is recourse. It didn't help you if you wanted to remember what the details of the bet were, but yep. it was, this is the acknowledgement that we've actually recorded this on a DL, so and, there is that to, level of security. To, to take it back to your question, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm digressed there again. That's fine. To take it back to the concept of an athlete. So how, how do you protect an athlete in that case? So we're aware of, actually, it was a pretty high-profile case in South Africa of um, uh, an athlete that wanted to change clubs, and they went in to have the conversation about negotiating a transfer to another club, and the club basically said, um, actually, you can't do that because you've signed up for another year. And the athlete and the agent said, no, our, our contract actually changes at the end of this year. What the club had actually done, had literally gone into the contract and fudged out the date um, no. and put a new date in. Uh, to the extent that the date didn't match the text. So the text said this contract will run for X, X months and so many years. And, and obviously that So they just fudged the, the bottom date. They just fudged the bottom line. And that caused an enormous dispute, uh, which went went to court. And and literally, I mean, that's unfortunately, wow. that's what goes on. Liz. It's it's just unbelievable how this goes on. And often it's, it's, it's at the expense of athletes who really just want to train and play and enjoy the game that they love and get paid mm. for doing that. Um, and, and, and unfortunately it's at the hands of people that are, are not necessarily always mm. particularly scrupulous about how they want to do business. So, I mean, literally that is just a case of, I, I'm just going to fudge that, that piece of paper. Mm. And when the athlete comes in and say, no, you're not, you're not leaving the end of this year because you signed till the, till the, till the end of next year. Wow. And so how, who do you trust now? Yeah. Um, so, and the club basically said, no, we agreed. This is what we agreed. So if you put that on, a, yeah. if you hash that signature, so as that contract is signed, you hash that on the blockchain, mm -hmm. which is distributed. There's absolute certainty. There can yeah. be no dispute about mm -hmm. when the terms of that contract and when it was signed. Apart from that, that is incredible. And once we get offline, I'm going to ask you about which franchise that was and which sport. I, I, <laughs> we won't throw can, anybody under the bus now. <laughs> Google it. You'll find it in oh, the Oh, it's already in the news. All right, that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Uh, from a... From an organizational standpoint, I'm now thinking uh, from a like a cost-benefit analysis, if you start talking about a franchise like um, the Canucks or the Lakers or somebody somebody like that, you've it's going to address compliance issues because there's transparency on compliance. It's actually probably going to be, save costs as well because we were talking about that some of these transfers happen two, three days, or we can only pay once a month, but then we're going to have to track all of these things. 
automatic execution of transfers and payments, that's going to save costs. Um, you can uh, you can help help manage spend a hell of a lot easier because you know when these potential things might actually be hitting. So the cost benefit analysis analysis for a franchise to move to this model is is pretty obvious. Are you finding that a lot of the major sports franchises are starting to look and adopt? Have there been any big wins there? No, no, not at the moment. So again, it's still, it's still early days because it's just really, it's, the, it's that human issue again, just getting people to get their head around it and, that the, and, and getting people to embrace exactly that issue. And that's mm-hmm. that, to be honest, is our biggest challenge is, um, you know, because we can't talk blockchain and we can't talk smart contracts and you can't talk distributed ledger or whatever. And, cause, and quite frankly, no one cares. I always say to people, you know, if you if you take an Uber ride, you don't jump out to Uber taxi afterwards and say, wow, that was cool. They must be using a SQL database. Like no one cares how it works. You just got a really good experience from what you had before. Right. And that's we, We're still in that process right now of getting sports organizations to understand that there is a better way to do things um, and using some of the cost benefit uh, examples like that. But sure. uh, And it'll happen. I mean, it's, you spoke about esports. Um, this is the interesting thing about the esports world is uh, we just have this kind of generational change. Right now, traditional sports are, are owned and run by very traditional type uh, of, of executives and, and administrators. Mm. Whereas esports is actually a much younger generation, and and the athletes are much younger, um, so so the, there's absolutely no issue for, for example, for an athlete to buy a, a skin for his or her gun, using Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. Uh, that that's like that's normal. And so these yeah. these young this generation and uh, this generation are not going to want to walk into a bank to open a bank account. They're not going to walk into an insurance office to sign an insurance uh, premium. They you know, everything is at, at, at a couple of keystrokes. They find what they need online. Whereas traditional sports, you, you know, if I had to say to them you, exactly what I said a moment ago, you can buy a skin for a gun on the, on the Lightning mm-hmm. Network using Bitcoin. They'd say, well, what the hell are you talking about? What does that mean? And so it's just a generational issue. So, um, you know, the, the generation that's growing up with this technology is ultimately they're going to be running these organizations in 5, 10, 15 years' time. And then it's normal. They're going to walk in these so at the moment, they are they are getting more of a seat at the boardroom table. However, they're not necessarily the final decision makers. Right. As soon as this generation become the decision makers, this, these digital platforms will become standard because it's, sure. it's, it's like uh, to really whip a dead horse is the, you know it's the it's the blockbuster to Netflix analogy. So you know you got two options: sign up for Netflix at X per month and have a, everything you like on tap. Mm. Or try and find, try and drive down the road and find a blockbuster, and, you, and your title that you want is going to be out anyway. So, yeah. you're uh, not far it's, from it's the process. last blockbuster in the world. Actually, it's uh, it's only oh, yeah. a couple of hours down the road from you. Okay. Yeah, it's in the north. Uh, uh, it's in Washington State or Oregon. It's one. Of, I think it's Washington State, but uh, okay. Yeah, complete. Yeah, sorry, complete nerd. Um, that it's it sounds like it's an inevitability. It's just going to take, like, when you started seeing major franchises like the Lakers, like Manchester United, like Arsenal, say, we now have an esports team. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a thing that I, I often say at, uh, when I'm doing talks in relation to pop culture, that we are explaining, we're explaining to an audience who doesn't uh, necessarily understand the impact of pop culture, like 
Uh, Dota 2, the biggest event in the world, $24 million in prize money. And everybody yep. who's not a geek in the room just goes, that's amazing. It's like, look, yep. you, don't, you don't need to understand it. You just need yep. to accept that it's happening and get behind it. Correct. Understanding can come later, but these things are going to happen. It just makes, it seems so utterly reasonable. And it'll be, it'll probably be from a an athlete standpoint that you'll get like a Zion Williamson or somebody who's a bit more savvy. Some, one of the younger athletes, the next big star going, this is how I want to do this. Please yeah. bring this in. And it'll, that'll probably shape the change. Would that be more likely? At a completely different level, well, to that line of thinking, is more and more of the marquee name um, uh, basketball, the, the big name, big brand, big money uh, superstars over here are getting more and more into te technology, into into the VC world. Right. Either they are sitting on the VC boards or they actually have started their own VC of their own. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and that just means that they, uh, obviously it's a, it's a post career play for them but the reality is it's pouring more money into into sports technology which is great news for everybody and that's only mm. it's only probably i'd say been in the last two or three years that that's really beginning to happen and now there's some really big names following um and there's some big wins there's some exits that are starting to happen so people are seeing it and i i think that's going to be a, a a big change but uh you know going back to your esports um discussion there as well as i i often use the the analogy as well of a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo. So, I mean, very few people in the world wouldn't have heard of him. But the, the reality is he's got an audience that is very traditional sports audience. So, you know, he goes to Juventus, he pulls his he pulls his shirt on, he runs out onto the field. He's got, in normal times, he's got 80,000-odd people in the stadium watching him. He's got a couple of million people watching him worldwide on TV. Now, and, that, and then he'd kind of run off the field and that's it, done. And then post-match interviews. And that. The reality is nowadays... If he were a really good Overwatch or League of Legends or Fortnite or whatever player, he could finish his, his soccer game, go and have a shower and go into the esports team room in, in the stadium. Uh, and the crazy thing, if you think about it, is all of those people, those 80,000 people that watched him in the stadium and millions of viewers watching him kick a football might not even know that he actually is a really good League of Legends player. So now he goes with his Juventus shirt. So now think of the brand extension for Juventus. Mm -hmm. So he all of that all of that branding on the field. Now he goes and has a shower and he comes into the team room with his Juventus shirt on, but he's playing League of Legends. Yeah. Now there's potentially millions and millions more viewers that don't even know he kicks a soccer ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just it's phenomenal what's going on. And by implication, that really should mean that anybody, any athlete nowadays that wants to position themselves as sports organization should say, look, I can run up this fast. Here are my performance metrics. Here's my... Mm -hmm. Uh, here are the goals that I've scored. Uh, and by the way, I'm an, I'm top 50 League of Legends player or I'm a top 10 League yeah. of Legends. And that, if I'm an agent, I'm, I'm putting that person in front of the club and I'm saying, this guy's going to score goals for you. And by the way, he's going to extend your brand. So his price is not X, it's Y. It this is a natural. It's crazy that the implications thereof are, are just amazing. And this is going to happen. This yeah. is not going to happen. This is happening. Yeah. It's an esports... An, an e Esports is a natural extension because a lot of the pro athletes have so much downtime. So uh, as, a, as a couple of examples, Ryan Kankowski, Sharks player, massive Dota fan. He will play Dota um, and jump online and play with people. There's a couple of Sharks players. One actually, I think he blew out his knee, unfortunately, and just moved straight over to CSGO. Um, so yeah. now he's playing Counter-Strike. Um, yeah. And so a lot of them have that downtime and you ask them, well, what do you do? It's like, well, I play FIFA. I play yeah. Xbox. 
a Formula One race. I do something along those lines. So teams need to be looking, when teams are looking for any particular advantage from a marketing perspective, you need to look at those ancillary skills and tie it in. But the interesting thing is that they, uh, those two worlds are still blending. So if, if Ryan Kankowski plays CSGO or whatever he does, he, he may have he may have an avatar that people don't even know it's him. Or um, he's got a following there where he mixes with a group of people that don't even know he's a rugby player. And the rugby player don't know that he does it. And that's that's where that's, those two worlds are, are I think, going to start. They have to start blending because it's, yeah. it's, it's the new normal. And it's <laughs> the crazy thing is if you think back to you know, when we were kids and you'd grow up watching rugby or cricket or whatever it was, or basketball, you sit with, typically you'd sit with your dad or uh, someone, your uncle, or family, or whatever, and they'd explain the rules of the game to you. And, and eventually you kind of, by assimilation, understand the rules of the game and tactical tactics and strategy and that type of thing. What's happened nowadays is uh, now it's the dads on the couch that don't actually understand. The kids are playing Fortnite or something. The dads don't know what's going on. So there's... You know, the kids can actually say, this is how this game works, um, if you can actually get the dad um, to pay attention. So, but again, it's a, it's just a generational issue. In, in 10 years time or 20 years time, it's this is normal. Uh, when this generation have kids of their own, they, they're going to be teaching them CSGO, Fortnite, Overwatch, whatever yeah. it might be. So we're just waiting for the change to come. Yeah. That's pretty much it, I guess. Uh, Gary, I want to say thank you very much for your time. I think we've I think we've covered a uh, we've covered a lot there. Um, the, yeah. impl- uh, the the implications of of the technology, the benefits of the technology, uh, and I think it's just the inevitability. It's like Thanos; it's just inevitable. It will it will eventually happen. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Kappa, free. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is, it's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back.